All right, everybody. Um, thanks for joining us on the, um, we've got a special podcast today um, that will be airing later this week. We are in Avon, Colorado. Um, we are at the uh, Xterra uh, North American Championships. Um, we are joined by a lot of people from Xterra today. Um, and the first guests that we have are Josiah and Sullivan Middaw that um, are really just, in my opinion, a perfect example of generational um, uh, enthusiasts when it comes to the sport. Um, Josiah is somebody I've known for over a decade uh, in the sport. Um, if you know anything about Xterra, you know who Josiah is. Unbeatable on certain courses, just in my opinion, one of the man um, when it came to the sport. And then his son, Sullivan, who is was just in elementary school when I was in the sport. And now he is also trying to follow his father's footsteps when it comes to racing Xterra. And we've got them both here. And uh, we wanted to just kind of talk to them and ask them some questions about, I guess, their history in Xterra and then also where they think Xterra is going now that there's been some ownership change and some leadership change. And, and really, in my opinion, um, it's starting to really take off again um, from what it was you know, five or six years ago. Um, so Josiah and Sullivan, thanks for joining us on the show today. Um, thanks, thanks for having us. <laughs> and as you can say, yeah, and, yeah. And as you can see, they, there's no similarity whatsoever in, in DNA and looks at all. Like, yeah. Uh, so, all right. So Josiah, talk to us a little bit about, this is your home. Like you live here. Yeah. Just over the hill as the crow flies, maybe two miles away here. Yeah. And, and how long have you lived in Avon? So 18 years, we moved into our house there when Porter, my second son was born right before he was born. We moved to the Vale Valley in 2000 and that's when, and I, my background in Xterra really started when I moved here. I finished a kind of a dismal collegiate running career, moved out here to do an internship, a fitness internship. Um, and just picked up kind of one sport at a time when I moved here and, you know, super active community mountain biking is kind of king around here. And so Xterra kind of found me through the environment here. Awesome. And so, and when was your first Xterra race? So I raced the Keystone Xterra in 2000. Uh, and that was my, my first race. I think I did the side stroke and the swim just suffered tremendously on the bike and suffered even more on the run, even though running was my background. Yeah, I bought, I had a bike from the pawn shop there in Avon, and I raced my first race on that bike from the pawn shop, a little, an old rally, Mount Hartail, you know, aluminum mountain bike. That's funny that you say that there, is there still a pawn shop here? No, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed quite a bit over the last 18 years, hasn't it? I actually raced. Two weeks after I bought that bike, I raced the Vail Ultra 100, which is a 100-mile mountain bike race with 13,000 feet of climbing. And I'd never ridden a mountain bike, you know, over, never ridden any bike over about 20 miles before. Did it have shocks? It had a front shock that okay. I don't think really did anything. Do you remember what kind of bike it was? It was a rally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. We're dating ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. I splurged like $400 for that bike. <laughs> <laughs> 
awesome. That's awesome. And now, okay, so tell us a little bit about your career in Xterra. Like, you've obviously been very successful with what you're doing, um, not only on the race course, but off the race course as well. You've got a, a really powerful coaching uh, platform that you have. Um, you've done just a tremendous amount for the sport uh, and the community. Um, you've been racing 18 years now? I've been racing 23 years. Now. 23 years. Okay. Yeah. Racing professionally for 20 years. Okay. Yeah. And tell us about some of the highs that you've had racing Xterra. Well, I, you know, definitely the the highlight of my career was 2015 winning the world championship. Um, I had a lot of Xterra national championships under my, under my belt, but never won the big race. Um, so finally doing that, um, you know, it's definitely a, a lifetime dream kind of come true. And throughout my career though, I wasn't ever, I, I got into the sport just wanting to see how I could do. And then realizing that, Hey, I could, you know, race in the elite race. And then it was, could I be top 10? Could I be top five? Um, so it wasn't that I wanted to be the best in the world. I just wanted to get better. And that's kind of where I ended up. I, I in 2000, maybe four, I finished third at the world championship. And then it was like, oh, hey, maybe I could win this race someday, but I still didn't feel like I had arrived yet. So it took me a, a whole lot longer than I thought it would. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Sullivan, what was it like growing up watching your dad do all of these things? Uh, I think did now, you get inspired? Yeah. I think now I, I see a little bit more of how big of opportunity, how awesome it was to see him race. But then it was just kind of life. Like you just would go watch him race or I don't know. And so there's good travel experience and stuff like that. Was there a certain point in your life when you, that you can remember where you're like, I want to do this. I want to, I want to be like my dad. I want to go race. Um, I don't remember a certain point, but I was always running, uh, biking and just kind of following in his footsteps, uh, unknowingly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And okay. So Josiah, you're the parent, you're the dad, right? You probably remember a little bit more of those opportunities in life. Were there, was there a time that you remember when, when you were like, man, this kid's got it. Like he can go for it. Yeah. Uh, so I had intentionally tried to stay pretty hands off with, with my kids because I, well, for one, I didn't want to assume that this was a lifestyle that they'd even be interested in. And, you know, it's not a glamorous, you know, thing. There's not, you know, tons of money in the sport. And so, I didn't ever want to kind of make that assumption for them. And, um, I, they just kind of developed pretty naturally. I didn't ever coach them. They would do the local mountain bike town series because that's what kids their age did around here is they would, you know, get a mountain bike and they, they didn't you know train on it. They'd ride to the pool, they'd ride to school. Um, and then they would do the local town series. And so they are pretty comfortable on trails. Um, but when I, I knew Sullivan had it, he got injured in high school. And he was, he was always involved in the high school sports. So he did cross country, he did basketball for a while. I did Nordic skiing and did track, um, but he got injured running. And so we started biking a little bit together and he, well, it was one day he headed out and he said, ah, I think I'm going to, 
you know, go for this Strava segment. He had just gotten Strava. And I said, well, you know, that's, that's my segment out there. I don't, you know, it's, it's going to be really hard to come close to, you know, you're going to go as hard as you can and you're going to be a minute slower. So don't be frustrated. And he went out and took my, you know, like a nine minute Strava segment. Yeah, up yeah, yeah. It just like blew my doors off, you know, it's <laughs> just crushed dad. <laughs> so I was like, Hey, well, <laughs> you got a good uh, strength to weight ratio. <laughs> At the time, I think he was, you know, probably six to 135 pounds. Or yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Bean pole. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so when was your first professional race, Sullivan? Um, my first professional race was last year at this race, uh, Beaver Creek, uh, nationals. And, um, yeah, that was the first time racing professionally against my dad and, Now, two years ago, I believe you raced this and you smoked most of the pro field. If I remember correctly, you were like right in the middle of the pack when it came to like the overall, we, we, we did this race a couple of years ago and, uh, Tim Hola and I both were like, oh yeah, like this kid, he's got it, man. Like, (laughs) yeah. And so that was kind of the summer that I was injured and was mountain biking quite a bit, um, not swimming quite as much, but a little bit more. And so, um, I, yeah, I raced the age group division and mm-hmm. I, I had a really good race. I think I was six overall in the like time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So you, you grew up Sullivan watching your dad do this, right. And you have on your own without pressure from your dad, which, which I think Josiah, you know, listening to you a second ago, you know, I just, that's just smart parenting. You know, I, I think so. We, we tend to do that with our kids, you know, you just kind of let them find their own, own way. Um, especially with sports, you know, because it's so, it's so hard to, to, to constantly want to get out the door, you know, that you really have to like find your own passion for what you're doing. Um, but, you know, so Sullivan, you've watched your dad do this growing up. What if, is there anything that you want to do different in your professional career than, than your dad did? Um, well, I guess uh, I'm on a team called Project Podium and, and this team, we focus quite a bit on draft legal. And so um, I think I will have a little bit more focus um, towards the draft legal than um, mostly off-road. So you want to kind of go towards like the Olympic non-draft versus Xterra? Um, I, I think that that's the, the big goal, but I think Xterra is what I enjoy. It's the mountain biking, the trail running, um, the locations are awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, that would be the overarching goal is yeah. maybe the Olympics one day. Okay, cool. And then maybe even a gravel try. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. (laughs) And how, talk to us a little bit about project, um, podium, because I've heard of that. I haven't, I don't know a ton about it, but I've heard about it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, project podium, it's, uh, USA triathlons, uh, Olympic and Paralympic, uh, development team. And so, um, uh, NCAA has women's triathlon division Mm -hmm. one, um, which is really good. Um, kind of route for them to go. 
Um, and they didn't really have that on the men's side and the women have had a lot of success on, uh, the world stage. I mean, uh, with like Gwen Jorgensen and the, uh, Olympics and not quite so as much with the men. And so this is kind of, um, project to push that for the men. Yeah. Have you been out to Park City to train with them? Because I, I believe they do a lot of training out in Park City, don't they? Yeah. So the last two summers I've been out in Park City uh, training with them. Um, this year I had quite a bit of travel, so I wasn't in Park City quite as much. But with this race here, I got to come home and train specifically for this race. Yeah. Now, are you are you ready for Saturday? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I kind of had to readjust to the altitude, which I'm not really used to since I have lived here for 18 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're high, man. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I've been here long enough where I'm acclimated and ready to go. Okay. Now, how long has it it been since you've been back? How long does it take to get acclimated to altitude? Um, I don't know exactly the days, but I think about a weekend, like seven days, I, I feel pretty good. I got in. I don't know, maybe like the 15th of August or something. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. A little over a week ago. Yeah. I'd say you're, you're coming around, but yeah, <laughs> so, something totally different for him since he grew up here. Never, you know, we never mentioned the word altitude, you yeah. know, it's just like, this is where you live. This is what you do. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. A, a whole new scenario. So, so Josiah, this weekend, you, you, you got to watch you, you've got, you're coming off of an injury and a foot surgery, correct? Yeah. Uh, we were on a, a family vacation in the Outer Banks, North Carolina. and oh, That's a nice place, man. Actually, Sullivan and his brother Porter were sprinting into the water, you know, kind of racing. So they've been racing each other since they were about four years old. Um, and so they're, you know, racing into the water. And I hopped up from my beach chair and said, I'll race you guys. I think I can beat you guys into the water. And we sprint into the water and stepped in a hole and broke my fifth metatarsal and pretty bad displaced and shortened and angulated. So I needed surgery, um, but I had to wait two weeks to get it. Yeah. Um, So I had surgery two weeks ago and just got out of the the splint, which is basically a cast and now in a boot, but still not able to walk on it. Yeah. How long will be the, is is there any racing for you the rest of the year or are you kind of done for the year because of this? probably done for the year <laughs> unless I, I find something in the fall. I, the world championship in Italy is in, you know, four and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, so I'll go, um, but most likely be on the sidelines yeah. unless some miraculously miraculous healing occurs. <laughs> now, the, the one question that I wanted to ask you before we, before we ended this segment of the, the podcast was, Talk to us a little bit about some of the changes that have been going on in Xterra. Um, because from an outsider looking in, they've been very positive. Mm-hmm. But you have, you know, you've been a part of the organization, you know, from a racing and professional standpoint for over two decades. And so if there's anybody to ask, it's, it's going to be you. Talk to us a little bit about some of those changes and, and what you think that that means for the future of this particular sport? Yeah, I think it's all very positive, very exciting. Um, when I started racing, Nissan was a big sponsor. Um, There's quite a bit of money in the sport and they produced a TV show for the world championship, the national championship that 
you know, got a national syndication and it was, it felt like a really big deal. Every race felt like the world championship because of international field, the only series was a U.S. series. So we had, you know, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, France, Spain, like all coming to all of these races. And then, um, you know, they, they went through some growing pains, but they also expanded globally big time. And so, um, they went through some, some rough patches there, I think, but I, I, I feel like it's really coming back to that. I get the same kind of sense and feeling with this. This is the first year of the world cup. Uh, and every race on this world cup and Sullivan will tell you is, is like a world championship. I mean, it's, you know, 30 deep with super competitive racing. Um, they, they're doing a really good job with the short track, um, televising that and, and, just that, that vibe, that hype, it's all coming back. And the racing is at a really high level, um, especially internationally, especially in Europe. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I've, I've been able to watch it and, um, it's been, it's been really cool to see because they, you know, it takes a long time to figure out what you're good at, you know, and we all know that there's always going to be a participation, um, gap when it comes to, or, or I should say cap when it comes to, you know, racing Xterra, you know, you, you can't put 2000 athletes on, right. on a course. Um, and so what do you do with the four or 500 athletes that you can put on the course? And, um, I think what they're doing from a short course perspective and, and, you know, turning it into almost like a, a weekend festival, um, is not only good for Xterra, but it's good for the sport because it allows for multiple people in a, in a, in a family or a household or a group of friends to come in and find some sort of thing that they want to participate in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's, that's really cool. So, um, is it going to be hard for you this weekend to stand by and watch your son race? What, is your hometown force <laughs> that you've dominated so many times over and over, or is it going to be kind of cool? Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still really looking forward to the race. I'm really excited just to see how it all plays out. I wish I could be in the mix a little bit there, but um, I don't know. It, I'll have the same type of race day nerves and I'll be really excited to be out there. Yeah. I just might be slow getting from point A to point B. <laughs> <laughs> Sullivan, uh, tell us about your race on Saturday, man. You ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ready. Um, he actually let me use his bike, which I'm pretty excited about. Whoa. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, I mean, it's my home course. I, I know it very well. Um, probably better than most people racing. So you going to win? I'm going to try my best to, um, got to defend, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> defend the family crown. <laughs> Well, guys, I appreciate you stopping by today to uh, share some some insights and news and and things of what's going on in Xterra, specifically in in your hometown of Avon, Colorado, uh, at the Beaver Creek Xterra race. So um, thanks again, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you out there on Saturday. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. All right, everybody, we're we're back with um, our second guest, really third 
because we had Josiah and Sullivan earlier. We are joined by uh, Steve Andros, um, who is the the president of North America. No, Xterra America's tour manager. Way off. Yeah, way, way off. off. Uh, I oversee both North and South America for Xterra. Okay. All right. All right. And you, this is a new role for you. This is a new role. Yeah. I came on, it'll be two years this upcoming March. But you've worked for Xterra for 17, 18 years as a subcontractor. I've been in part working with them off and on for since, yeah, about 17 years. The first Xterra event that I was involved was when my son was born. So he's now 17, just turned 17. So That'd be the first encounter that I had is my previous role. I worked in uh, Utah at Snow Basin and then off and on throughout the years, I contracted various events and then uh, Xterra approached me. It'll be two years in February, asked if I was interested and, you know, help with, uh, you know, growth and development and absolutely. So kind of took on a dream job. Now, have you been the one that's, kind of leading the charge on all this cool, new, exciting stuff that we've seen from Xterra over the last couple of years? I've been part of the team with that. There's, we got a great global team. We've also got a great regional team. And so it's a collaboration of what we do globally with our, you know, um, all of our members. Uh, as you know, Xterra is broken up into three regions. We have the EMEA region. We also have the Asia Pacific region. And we also have the Americas region. And so it's been a collaboration with everybody. How do we work with uh you know, with what we already currently have, how do we elevate the brand where we've been and how do we get to a higher elevated uh, pursuit, which would be like the World Cup that we have going on now. That's been an absolutely great one. The inclusion of more short track. And, you know, one of the cool things this year is we brought short track to the Americas uh, for the first time. It's been in Europe, but this last year at Oak Mountain, we had our first uh, short track event. And, so that's been great. So there's been a lot of new uh, direction that, and drive in regards to Xterra. It's not just a triathlon. We also have our trail series. It's now a global trail marathon series that we're doing. But then the inclusion of our World Cup circuit this year for year one has been really successful uh, and just elevating and growing and, again, pushing the brand and elevating and becoming brand, uh, letting folks be aware of what we're doing. So that's been a big push. Now you say growing and elevating the van, the the brand, where do you see the brand going in five years? Uh, Five years. If you look at it, I would say where I would like to see it is the aspect of people hear of the race. They hear the the term Xterra. Uh, If we look at in the Americas, if you ask someone in the Americas, tell me about Xterra. A lot of them first go into, oh, the car. And some of those other, you know, things, it's getting that outdoor lifestyle brand first and foremost on people's minds that with our brand, we have amazing uh, assets, which happen to be the triathlons that happens to be these trail roads or short track and some of our other uh, discovery pieces that we do within our Xterra Planet website. And so, again, it's letting folks know that who we are, what our vision is and what our emphasis is, is, um, number one, one of our mantras is we protect, we play. And that is something that we're take pride in and getting that awareness to those folks that, hey, you can come out, whether you're a a fit age group athlete or someone new, get them involved outdoor lifestyle and then potentially come up and see these uh, elite athlete tracing. And so that's really where we're at is just kind of that really elevating our brand awareness uh, regionally, globally uh, on all aspects. 
One of the things that I've always appreciated and liked about Xterra, and this has been <clears throat> true for 20 years that I've been in a part of the the sport and, and racing in the community is um, it, the the vibe has never changed. Yes. yes. It's, it's that same vibe that, you know, road triathlon had 20 years ago yeah. and, 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 and just, everyone's nice. Everyone's cool. They're competitive, but it's a welcoming community. And you, you made mention a second ago, um, in, in, you know, repeat that again, you protect and you, we protect, we play, or we play and we protect. And so that, that goes on various elements. That's, you know, the planet, that's our sustainability, you know, focus we have. It's, you know, getting people outdoors, letting them, you know, get involved in their environment. I mean, I, it's, it's intriguing to me how many people that live in the outdoors, specifically out West. I mean, I, you and I talk, we're both from Utah. You look at statistics, how many people get out, they live along the Wasatch front, but how many get out and actually enjoy the trails and actually get on the other side of the Wasatch front? And that's anywhere. Yeah. No matter if we're here, we're in Asia or Taiwan or we're in Europe, there's a lot of folks that don't do that. So that that's a big piece. How do we draw that? How do we get people active and outdoors? How do you do it? It's through exactly what we're doing. That's a great question. That is through introduction and in, of this outdoor lifestyle. That's you know through our races. That's through our websites, uh, or as far as our X Discovery pieces we have, that are pieces that showcase lifestyles of just the general people and what they're what they've done to experience life and how you getting out in the community or out in the wilderness helps them it's encouraging people to take their first xterra and whether it's a super sprint or it's a sprint short race but we encourage them and invite them to come out and race even a 5k you know i prime example of that i'll be honest with you is look at the you just had sullivan on and uh you know his dad josiah Sullivan used to come when he was just a baby and his brother Porter would come and race our little kids races, our kids, kid races. They started in that. They bought in, not just because their dad was an elite racer and an amazing human, but the fact they started racing and they got the buck. And then they're look at what level he's at now. So it's been good to see that progression. And then there's other kids out there that are doing that as well. But it's, it's important for us for people that, and that's like just one example, but that other kids like volunteers, they see these athletes coming in. Or you have uh, another example I will use is in Alabama this year. There was this woman that raced every one of our races from the super sprint, 10K, right? Or just, you know, a couple of them. But she volunteered the year before. So I, I want to do this. I am encouraged by watching these people. It doesn't matter. Like you said, it's a fun event. It's different than some of the other series. And this lady felt included that she wanted to do it. She got off the couch. She started exercising. She started doing stuff and made it a goal to race in our sprint and then our trail run the following day. That was super encouraging to her. You know, and she was like, I want to do the full next year. And I'm bringing my friends into this because of what it provides me. I have a goal. And so hearing stories like that, it's like, yeah, that's what it's about. It's, you know, we focus a lot, a lot of the elite athletes and some of that. That's a big piece of ours. That's um, something where we're proud in the world cup circuit, but we also focus on the age groupers. We focus on getting those people to buy into what we have, letting them feel, you know, and a, a big word that's terminology that is passed on currently. I mean, it's, it's a big, 
the dynamic is exclusive or inclusive. You hear that in a lot of regions, a lot of different fields. We really truly look into that. It's like we want the focus to be so inclusive that it doesn't matter who you are, you become part of the event. Instead of focusing on the stream on, you have to be fit this body mold. You have to fit, you have to be able to, you know, you have to be a heck of a mountain biker. You have to be a heck of a swimmer or trail runner. Well, come try it. We will have various, you know, whether it's a duathlon or we have a swim assist category, such as like we had in Alabama. We don't have one here at Beaver Creek, but we had a swim assist where they could wear a tethered buoy. And, this, you know, so just opening the doors for people to get out and experience is really what we're trying to focus on. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this particular weekend, because, you know, Beaver Creek is, is special in the regards that it's been around for a really, really long time. Absolutely. But it's also unique in the regards that it doesn't have a lot of those extra events that you see at other it, yeah. Is that just restrictions? What What is that? No. So a lot of this uh, is due to, you know, we really want to, this event is a World Cup event as well as a national championship. We look at, you know, the resources, you know, those are there, um, but we have focused, we still have our sprint race. And then, so it's just triathlon aspect, but then we do have little kid race happens on, you know, bike race that we are doing down in Avon Friday night. Again, something fun for the kids. But a lot of this is focused specifically for the U.S. championship and then elevating and focusing on putting energy and efforts into creating this World Cup aspect race as then also a quality high caliber race for the age grouper. So, you know, you have the, the super sprint. We also have relay races. Uh, so there's still a lot of elements within that registration piece, but it's all lumped into one day. Yeah. Are any of those decisions based on restrictions of the community or is it just uh, you really want to focus on the world cup and the regional championship mm -hmm. aspect there's, of it there's really been not a lot of restrictions uh, from the community we, in fact we have amazing community support from both avon and beaver creek you would um, have to or yeah you and be so here for as long right well, like one, one of the things we learn i mean avon beaver creek the vell valley in general they they do a wonderful job on events and trails and they you can't have a weekend without some type of structured trail race or, or I mean, like last year or last week was the Leadville 100 trail run. And so you have that for instance, and then your Vell Valley rec district has their races going on all the time. So it's not, it, we were competitively, you know, focusing upon, Hey, we'd like to add more events, but that niche is already taken specifically for this event. And so we don't want to put on an event and compete with somebody that already has something going on a week before or a week after. So, you know, we've looked at it strategically and said, hey, we want to support and our way of supporting those is not have some of these other ancillary events so that we're then supporting specifically like the Vail Rec District and their trail races and stuff like that. So it's definitely a respect aspect of the local community here as well. 100%. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Tell us about the level of participation this weekend. How many racers do we have that have registered for Saturday? As of right now, we're at 416. And so we'll, we'll probably get, we're looking at probably another 20 to 30. So we're aiming for 430. Last minute folks registering. I mean, I don't know if uh, Trey told you, but um, Leslie Patterson decided last minute that she's racing. And so Leslie's coming on board <laughs> as of this week, and just this last few days. So that's great. we get a lot of that coming on. Yeah, that's, that's, awesome. so that, but that's, 
that's a lot of people for Xterra. It is. It's a, it's a good number for us. I mean, that, that field uh, represents the, the sprint race, that represents the age groupers and then the elites. Elites, I believe, we're at 32 to 35, anywhere between that. So and it's, a, it's a good field specifically for the age groupers. Talk to us a little bit about participation levels just overall for 2023. Um, have 20, you seen... Yeah. Have you seen growth? Have you seen, has it been neutralized? Like what, where is it at? Uh, we're looking at a steady incline, which is absolutely nice. Um, it's, we're finally picking up and, and I, I wouldn't just say Xterra, but I've talked with other, you know, other event organizers, other event, you know, um, companies. It's all a lot of the same. It's like, all right, we had a decline, started decline pre-pandemic, pandemic kind of, neutralized, dropped a little bit, but now we're starting to come out of that. And, so, and with us specifically, we are seeing a, a steady increase. We're seeing more participation. We're seeing more folks coming over from, you know, road triathlon, first-time eventers, and, and, and getting a taste of what Xterra is about or off-road triathlon or cross triathlon and falling in love with the sport. Um, it's there, There's a lot of variance, but the, a big piece of our, you know, enhanced or elevated races are – our numbers would happen to be just folks that are wanting to change their lifestyles. And like I mentioned, the woman in Alabama, she wanted to do something. And so we're getting a lot of that. And then, so it's really cool to see those numbers in, uh, start to increase as well. Yeah. I think that kind of goes back to, you know, community and yep. what people are looking for. You know, when I look at my history in triathlon and the growth that I experienced, um, as an individual in the sport, um, you know, particularly with, you know, half Ironman and Ironman racing, um, you know, it, it kind of goes back to the vibe and mm -hmm. the community that is, is with that. And, um, you know, our community on slow twitch is very specific to, you know, long distance racing yep. and, and, and they're starting to lose interest in the mm -hmm. cookie cutter model that, that the big gorilla in the room has got. And they're all going back to smaller local races, you know, and, and more things that are going on with Xterra. And because they want, they want to feel what they felt like when they first started in the sport. And that is excitement and community and, you know, a challenge. And, and so they're kind of just branching off. And, and so it's awesome to hear that your numbers are increasing because that's my that's what my gut tells me mm -hmm. is that, you know, there's this fear that triathlon is, is, you know, decreasing in participation. And, and what my gut tells me is that that's not true, that those numbers are just not being reported because it's all on a local basis. And, true. and they just see the, you know, the shrinking of, of Ironman events because they had too many of them and they needed to shrink them. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's less participation overall, which is, which as I had these conversations with people like you in the sport, in a different area of it, we keep confirming that over and over again, which is, which is great to hear because we need more grassroots. I call it macro community yes. influence so that we can get back to the, why are we doing this? You That's know? what it's about, right? Why are we yeah. doing it? And it's yeah. having something available for everybody. 
Exactly. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the challenges that you've had over the last year and a half since you've been full-time mm-hmm. with Xterra. Because you went from doing some contract work specifically with one event, yep. and now you're over a lot. Uh, the biggest thing is there, there's change. You know, I was, I was charged, we need to make some changes. And how do we do that? It's looking at the overall picture. Where do we want to be? Creating an operation plan of setting goals and tasks of where we want to be in one, three, five years and sustainable. How do we, uh, number one, how do we regrow Xterra in the U.S. and the brand and the brand image? How do we take something that was great and make it better? Um, and that is changing locations. That's looking at new processes, collaboration with sports commission, tourism boards, instead of just going in and creating and producing event, it's having a partnership and creating partnerships with these tourism boards. Um, that's what the biggest change has been is coming in and meeting with community members and say, Hey, we would like to be part of you guys and be part of your community. Um, how do we do this together? How do we, you know, bring in an event that brings awareness, not just to Xterra, but equally to your community. And that's a big, that's a big paradigm shift because in the past we'd come in and, and any big event organization used to come in, bring a, we used to call it the traveling circus. We'd bring a full traveling circus in. You come in, you set up and then you leave. Well, where is the economic true impact? They may have had the ROI at the time, a measurable result was how many heads and beds. That's what a, a big piece of that. Now it's, how do you elevate? How do you tell the story of those communities? And that happens truly by a collaboration because they have a vested interest in bringing the event, partnering with the event. They have the funding that comes to those events. They see the stories. They're helping with bringing the community and have uh, support and help producing some of the community aspects of the event. So it's a new buy-in. That's a big, that's been one of the tougher things is re-elevating Xterra specifically in the United States and the image of what Xterra was for years. It was, you know, it was the same thing over and over, which was a very strong brand, but there was not a whole lot of growth and development. And it's now taking that step. And how do we grow? How do we expand into regions? How do we do it sustainable that we're not just coming in, putting on an event and then leaving the year or two? How do we keep and how do we really focus on growing that audience so that they are, involved, whether it's a volunteer, whether it's a new sponsor or partnership, how do we bring them on board so that they feel part of something that's bigger than just a weekend race with a bunch of awesome triathletes? That that has really been the change of, of our shift within Xterra and what I've been charged and what I've been working on. So, um, and I love that challenge. It's been good. And we've got it uh, within the U.S. team. We've got a great group of people within the team. And, you know, it's, again, change is hard in any situation. Um, didn't really rip the, I mean, the term rip the Band-Aid off. Well, yes, I come in and rip the Band-Aid off. But it's the support, the drive, the vision has been recepted by community members and new locations, potential new locations. Um, for us, it's getting quality races uh, for these age group athletes and the elite athletes more and more prize purse for elite athletes, but also elevated new regions for age groupers because they are just as equally important to Xterra and the brand, even more so than the elites. I love the elites and it's a great field what we have, but we need age groupers to support that as well so that they have the family or aspect that you talked about. It's that community. It's that vibe. Elites are great. They have their vibe, wonderful folks, but support around that is that, you know, 
one, you know, it's that age grouper because then the elites are elevated because they're like, God, for instance, there's Josiah, there's, you know, Susie Snyder, all those people, they become rock stars in their own realm, but the age groupers, Hey, I get a race with these folks on these weekends. And so that has been a big shift or that's kind of been the focus, but it's now elevating that and growing new regions and, and spreading it out uh, throughout the U S throughout Canada, elevating our races in Canada. You know, we have a great new event within the America, North America next year. And we had it this year as a small Inago event, which is in Puerto Rico, part of the U S absolutely beautiful, stunning area down there. It's like, oh, I went down for a site visit and met with the organizer, went through everything. I'm like, Oh my God, this is cool. <laughs> and what they're trying to do. And so trying to get more of those type of races as well. How many races currently are in North America? And let's just, uh, within Canada and the U.S., there are a total of 18 races total. So, I mean, it's, those are quality. We really want to try to expand more. You know, years ago, we looked at, you know, there's a lot of revamp. Again, looking at the same model, like what you talked about, looking at, you have a ton of models, more quantity versus quality. Refocusing on that vision is started a few years ago. It's now refining more and bringing more races back into the fold. But with this mindset of that collaboration of community and make it a quality event, and that's through branding, that's through activations, that's through the festival component. So focus, number one focus is not the race itself, but what happens around the race. So the community members can come in. They feel part of Xterra, whether it's just through our concerts or the festivals, the after party, the welcome dinners, all of those pieces and then introduce them to the athletes and the athletes get to be part of the community as well. And so then it's that meshing of community athlete uh, presentation. So that is really the new dynamic and getting where we want to be with all these events. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Last question, Steve, if I'm going to register for a race next year yep. in North America, yep. which one do I do? Can I give you three? <laughs> sure. <laughs> So it's hard to say one. We have a lot of key races. I honestly, in North America specifically, I could even go into our South America region because we've got, oh my God, we just brought on Costa Rica again. So that was, we just did a press release with them. I'll stay in North America. Um, for me personally, where I will be supporting and up elevating these races, again, we have a bunch of quality races, um, but we have some that are really taking to the next level. Uh, the first would be Oak Mountain, uh, May 16th through 19th next year. That'll be, won't spill the beans yet, but it will be a championship race next year. We'll make that announcement on September 6th. Um, so Oak Mountain, Alabama. Then the next two, I would pause. It's a tie. So second place would be Whistler. The Whistler event is absolutely amazing. Our race director up there does a wonderful job, and he and his team and the production company that produces that event put on a full, high-quality race. Um, not to mention that Whistler is a hell of a destination, and their trail systems are well. They have great community support, and that's even growing. And so to see that buy-in would be my number two. And then the third would be a tie between Quebec, Canada, up at uh, Lake de Lac and then Puerto Rico. So I would say four, but those, that's, that's the order. Okay. And I, for me personally, I think the number one would be Whistler. I have to say Oak Mountain because I have a lot of vested. I love that event. It's a high quality event. Um, but as far as where I get to go travel to in North America, those would be the ones. Awesome. 
Well, Steve, thanks so much for taking the time today. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We're, we're excited to be here and to, to race on Saturday and just be able to participate in, in all of the, uh, the goodness that you guys provide. So, Well, thank you for having me and uh, good luck. All right, we're back. We are with Susie Snyder right now, who is the reigning, it's the U.S. Elite National Champion of Xterra. And you're also one of the overall winners of this particular course as well, a couple of years ago, correct? One time, only once. Yeah. But there's always the future. True. The Saturday. That's right. And I'm hoping for another one. How are you feeling? Um, to be honest, I have a little bit of, I don't know, freshening up to do still. Um, but, you know, some openers and maybe a little massage should come around. Got a, f- a few days, so I'm not worrying quite yet. <laughs> so you're feeling pretty good. I'm feeling good. I had a good training block uh, since like, I don't know, I guess the end of June after Belgium. Uh, it was really nice to be home for a good chunk of time and actually be able to train hard and, you know, train on your own terrain and actually the race course for the one that was coming up next, like doesn't get it any better than that. Um, some local races here and there for intensity and it's just been, been a great, I don't know, six weeks or so. Yeah. Susie, tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners. Like where are you from? How long have you been doing Xterra? Just give us, give us the, the, the background here. Yeah. Um, I grew up in upstate New York, so country girl, very far from the city. <laughs> um, I went to, I was like a track and cross country runner in high school and um, went to college in Western Mass at Springfield College, track cross country. Uh, towards the end of my time there, I think maybe my junior year, I was starting to get a little nervous about what I was going to do after college since, you know, I had a sport and a team all my life and didn't know what I would do without it. So um, I was lifeguarding during the summers at a, a little state park in upstate New York. And one of my lifeguard buddies had started doing Xterra and he had stories upon stories and war wounds. And for some reason I thought it sounded like fun. (laughs) So, um, and then we actually hosted a race, um, the sky high event. And I went and talked to the race director because, you know, we helped put it on and I was like, this looks really cool. I didn't know a thing about mountain biking. So I went and talked to the race director. Turned out he was a friend of my dad's who lived a mile up the road from me and his wife was pregnant, so he let me borrow her mountain bike, gave it a shot, try, literally just put my running shoes on top of those Shimano SPD pedals, which didn't work real well. I fell all over the rocks and was bleeding, and it's kind of a disaster, but I loved it. <laughs> so, and I was a good swimmer and runner, so I was like, what the heck, I'll give it a try. Went to my first race in... Hartford, Connecticut, which was kind of an inside out Xterra. It was a downriver swim. And then we ran back 
to the park and finished on the mountain bike. And I was falling all over the place, but I was good enough that I could just muscle my way through and (laughs) I took second. So I was like, oh, maybe I could be good at this. And so I was just kind of hooked and just kept racing and got better and better and went pro in 2010. Um, you know, had some ups and downs along the way, but have had a, a bit of success and just, I guess I've made so, so many friends into family that I can't imagine stopping. (laughs) And of course now I'm 20 years in and I'm like, well, I can't do this forever, but I don't want to leave my friends. So. Yeah. One of the things that I I learned about in, in your bio was, um, how you gave credit to just kind of winging it for a while. Um, what was the biggest lesson that you learned? Like the hard lesson that you learned at one point? You can't go hard every day, (laughs) man. I, at one point I was so run down and burnt out. Like I thought I had mono. I just was tanked and, I was doing an internship in strength and conditioning in Colorado Springs. I was like, I think I was in grad school and, you know, he was, I'm asking him, like, I just can't do anything. Like I am. So he's given me the 20 questions and he's like, you're just burnt out. You're overtrained. It's like, what do you mean? I'm not, no way. (laughs) I was like, I should know this because I'm a strength coach, but certain things you just, are hard to see in yourself. And that's sort of when I learned I should probably have a coach and not coach myself because I need an outside perspective because I just push myself too hard and I need somebody to hold me back primarily. Yeah. Now, okay. So when did you get a coach and who was your coach? I think my coach, my first coach was Dominic Gillen, who was an Xterra racer in 2000 eight or nine, I think was when I had moved to Connecticut. So. And did you instantly start seeing some better results at that point? What was different? Yeah. Well, I think it was earlier than that. Actually, it was probably 2007 or eight. Yeah. I think just more structure, like hard days were hard intervals, you know, certain targets, stuff like that. Easy days were easy. And if I didn't go easy enough, he made sure to tell me like, Hey, you can't go hard on your hard days if you're not going easy enough. So just having somebody looking at your data and there wasn't a lot of data back then, because I think maybe that's when I got my first heart rate monitor, even there was no power meters. Yeah, Yeah. It was basically all heart rate back then. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think the first heart rate monitor I had was like, I won it at a race. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's, it took me some time to get used to having a coach and make that change, but it was definitely a a good change. Now you've been a part of the Xterra family for 20 years. What's, been the biggest impact that it has had on your life? Probably just knowing that they're friends for life. Like I've moved around a lot and no matter where I go, no matter 
if I keep racing or don't keep racing, those Xterra friends that I've made in the last 20 years are always there. And like I ran into a woman a couple of weeks ago at a local race, a gravel race, and I was standing behind her in the food truck line. And we were both kind of looking at each other like, I think I know you, but I can't figure out how. And finally she said, what's your name? Cause I think I know you, but I can't figure out. And I told her and she goes, Xterra, you used to race Xterra. You're friends with Julie. <laughs> and I was like, Kathy, you're Kathy. <laughs> and it was like, and then we went and chatted for an hour. Um, and same, like it just stuff like that. You know, everybody is so friendly and, um, just like you can not talk for years, but then act like that time had never passed when you do see them. Um, yeah. We were talking with um, Steve earlier about the, the difference in the community here. And um, you know, that's something I've always admired. And I was telling him that is, is, you know, the, the, the community and the vibe has never changed in the, 22 years that I've been associated with triathlon and particularly, um, you know, being able to compare it from like road triathlon and Xterra. Um, it's just never, it's never wavered. It's always been this small, close knit, welcoming community, no matter what was going on from a, a a global, um, expansion or, or anything. It's, and, and no matter where I'm at with a race, it's always that same feeling as well. Whether I'm in Utah, whether I go to Hawaii, whether I go to Alabama, I haven't been to any of the European Xterras, but I've heard that it's all the same regardless of where where you go, um, which is is pretty unique. Uh, you know, particularly with something that has you know, survived 20 years of being in existence. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so you just recently moved up to Avon, correct? Right. About a year um, how long have you been here for? Just under a year, under a year. I was kind of in the, I had just started moving up here around mid July last year. So knowing that you've, you've won this race before, um, you live here now. Do you, do you think that's, do you have home courts advantage now? <laughs> I would like to think so, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's a whole lot of advantage cause it's not very technical. So tell that to Josiah. <laughs> um, you know, I think I, I would like to think so in partly that helps give you confidence, right? So one of the most important things going into race day is being confident. You know, I do know the course. I know that I'm adjusted to the altitude. So that's not a factor that a lot of people have in their head when they come here because 8,000 plus feet is legit. Yeah. It's high. Yeah. So, you know, I don't really have to worry about that. Um, I just have to go do what I do and focus on the process of having my own best race. And if that brings the win, then awesome. If it doesn't, then if I had my best race, then I can't be unhappy. So, yeah. okay. So, so I'm doing the race on Saturday. I will be finishing probably 
30 to 45 minutes behind you. Um, give me some pointers on this course. Like when are you going to push it? When are you going to bring it? Or do you just push the whole time? Like there's got to be some spots where you're just like, oh, I got this. This is where I go. Like tell me about that. Yeah. Um, let's see. For starters, hold back a little in the swim because swimming at 7,500 feet hits you like I always hold back on the swim anyways. So <laughs> it's, you don't have to worry about that. Okay, good, good. Because you get hypoxic real fast. Yes. Um, yeah, get out on the bike, like hammer that road section on the bike because it's free speed, right? Yeah, Movement's yeah, fast. Yep. Pass a bunch of people before you hit the single track. Cause once you get on single track, it's tough, you know, you is pretty good as far as width goes and being able to pass, especially early on up towards the top, it gets a little narrower, but yeah, pass as many people as you can early on. If you're not a really strong swimmer, um, pace yourself a little bit on that first climb. Cause it's a good, what, 20, 25 minutes of, pretty steep sections. Um, and then Apache, super fun. Just have fun. Enjoy the, the downhill recover. Um, Oh, eat early, you know, get some calories in your system either on that road or while climbing you if possible. Um, but then yeah, recover on the downhill, have fun with it. Cause it is super fun. And then village to village, kind of a grinder climb you know it's like oh yeah gravelly yeah, I, I, I think field. i dropped the oh. f-bomb a couple of times uh two years ago when i did this race again where i just kind of forgot like how steep it was and and you know you've been you've been going for at least i've been going for like an hour already and i'm just like oh my gosh really yeah. like more of this yeah well then you get the flat section of village to village so i'd say you know, you can get some nutrition in on that section, especially early because it's more, it's smoother. Uh, cause later on village to village, it gets a little bit rocky and rough and, um, I don't really like taking my hands off at that point. Um, so I like to get some nutrition in early and then, and hammer that flat section cause it's flat. So, and if you need to pass people, you can, you know, get around pretty easily there. Um, and then, yeah, then you hit Dally and climb again. So settle in, find your rhythm, um, drink, 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 get ready for the run basically. Cause corkscrew is fairly quick descent, you know, need to have some calories in you too, to keep your wits about you. Cause it's probably the more technical descent of. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you're, if you, if you've never done this race, like you're, you're literally going down what would probably be like a black diamond ski and you're just on these like S curves. And it's a little just, rutted and rocky and oh, rudy and yeah. some blind corners because the weeds are tall. And uh-huh. like I've even ridden it, you know, a whole bunch of times by now. And I still, there's this one corner that it's got real tall weeds and you can't see around it. And I'm like, is this the corner that has that rock and the, and I always scrub too much speed. And then I'm like, Oh shoot. <laughs> I have to like crank out. I of say, it. Oh shit. But that's, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I do too. But, 
Um, so yeah, keep your wits about you on, on corkscrew, but stay relaxed. And cause you ride better when you're relaxed, when you're all tense, you just make mistakes and end up going slower. So let it flow. And then, uh, yeah, come out of T2 and find your rhythm, find some pace. It's a hard start to the run, you know, it's steep, it's hot, it feels humid in those switchbacks. Do they me. still take us to the left side of the the finish line? So you get out of T2 yep. and then you go left and you're flat for a little bit and then you just go straight up that like tight single trail. Yeah. That just never seems to, it's like a mile yeah. and a half up too, isn't it? Yeah. 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 My goal this year is to not walk any of that section. That's hard. But yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm going to run really, really slow. I mean, like jog really, really slow, but yeah. I think maybe I can do it. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. If Probably you're strong, not. it's, you can do it. It's sort of a matter of like. So wait, do you walk some of that section? Depends on how I feel. Okay. You're starting to make um, me feel better about my past here. I think course. I think there are more races that I have walked, some of those switchbacks, okay. than, than years I've run the whole thing. I think maybe only once or twice I've actually run the whole thing. When you won it here overall, did you walk or run that section? That was 19. I can't remember, to be honest. Maybe that's why you won overall. Maybe. Yeah, Maybe I just, ran it. It was just all a blur <laughs> in the red from start. Yeah. It's one of those things that, you know, if you're, if you take it down to a walk and sometimes all I need to do is just like power hike, just the switch back. And then it, you know, flattens out a little bit and just power hiking that switchback can keep your heart rate just low enough that you can start to run again as you come around the corner. So you can actually be faster that way if you manage your effort well. Whereas sometimes if I try to run the whole thing, my heart rate just gets so high that I'm just going slower than if I were, you know, hike running. Yeah, exactly. It sort of depends on personal preference and how you feel. And sometimes just staying in the running rhythm helps you like maintain that. Um, it, you know, it doesn't change your breathing pattern or heart rate as much. So uh, it can feel better. Like I know Josiah is anti-walk. He's like, I'll run everything because it keeps me in the rhythm. Um, but with me, it kind of depends too. I have vocal cord dysfunction and some days it's more of a, problem and a limiter than others. And so some days I just have to, uh, get my heart rate down and control my vocal cords a little bit. Wait, you have, you have what, what is this? Yeah. Um, vocal cord dysfunction to where you're explain that. So when my effort goes up, my vocal cords constrict. So I guess it's kind of like asthma where your airway narrows or essentially it narrows your airway. So it's, um, maybe that's what I have all the time. <laughs> if you can't get a good breath in, that's probably it. <laughs> so, okay. So you, when you go really, really hard, sometimes your, your, your throat starts to close up yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So how hot, like, 
All right. Talk to us a little bit about how you manage that. Cause this is, that's, it's, it's not very that's common. A, that's a thing. Yeah. Like that's something to like, wow, you got to deal with that. That's, that's challenging. Yeah. It's basically threshold effort where it gets, starts becoming a problem. Uh, altitude doesn't help. So I have to really manage my effort. Um, I can do like short bursts, but then I kind of have to settle in and diaphragm breathing is my best friend. <laughs> um, cause the more I get in my chest, the more your, my vocal cords just want to seize up. Yeah. So, is there an inhaler that you can use or anything like that? Nope. No, nothing. Just manage the pain. Yeah. Wow. I just have to focus on, I kind of visualize like pushing my throat and vocal cords open mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, like purse lip breathing helps, uh, diaphragm breathing helps. It's just, it's hard to do those things when you're trying to go fast. So by the end of a race, I am pretty mentally exhausted even more than physically sometimes because I just have to focus so much on just my body and trying to get my body to do what I want it to do. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then if I do have like a full blown episode where I start wheezing and they close up, then I usually have to bring it down to a walk and just focus on breathing and then uh, try to get it under control. How long does that take? 30 seconds, couple minutes? Um, probably a good minute, 30 seconds to a minute. It depends if I let it get really out of control. Um, in Alabama, I was pushing really hard on the run and yeah, got a little out of control. So I had, I struggled from about halfway through the run to the end. Cause it, once it happens, I can slow down, control it. But then once I start running again, if my heart rate gets to a certain point, it just back to, so it's. And like, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, like at what point does your heart rate need to get before, you know, like if I go any higher than this, I'm screwed. Yeah. Usually it's about threshold or if I go over threshold, I know that's danger zone. Yeah. So I've got to keep those efforts pretty short. Yeah. Considering the fact that there's 3000 feet of elevation climb just on the bike yeah. here. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And when did you, when did you discover this? Like how, how did you discover this? Yeah. Well, when I was in high school running cross country, it started and you know, the doctors told me that it was exercise induced asthma. They gave me an inhaler and I got that when I was a kid. Yeah. Which I was just overweight, but (laughs) (laughs) well, I wasn't, um, but it wasn't asthma either because I took the inhaler and at first I thought it helped because, you know, I'd start wheezing, I would stop, take the inhaler and then, you know, 30 seconds, minute later, I was good. I could run again, but it turns out it was just the actual stopping and breathing that settled it down. It wasn't the inhaler because you know, after a while you get complacent and you're just like, or you don't have an episode. So I just stopped carrying the inhaler and then it happens, of course. So I'd stop and walk and it would calm down. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have the inhaler. That's weird. (laughs) So 
it took, and it comes and goes, you know, it's weird. Some days it's really bad. And then I won't have an episode for a while and there's really no pattern except once I start having them, I tend to have them more. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of trial and error. And then in 2017, I was at ITU Cross Tri Worlds in Penticton, and I'd been having some heart rate weird, like tachycardia too. And in the swim, I felt my heart go tachycardia, and then that set off my vocal cords, and I nearly drowned, <laughs> but got myself under control, got out of the water, got on the bike, and it was just my heart rate was like 205. I couldn't breathe. I had to stop and get off the bike and actually like sit on the ground to get it under control. And then, uh, I managed to finish, but I walked a lot of the run because every time I started running again, my heart would shoot up. So I think I finished almost dead last in that race where I was, people were talking about me being a favorite to win. So that was a pretty, pretty tough pill to swallow. And I, it worried me because I was like, well, is this dangerous? Should I be worried about, you know, so I went to cardiologist and they implanted this little loop recorder under my skin so I could track my heart rate all the time. And when I had an episode, they could look at the rhythm and see if it was normal or problem, whatever. Told me not a problem. Okay. So I just keep doing what I'm doing. And, but the vocal cord stuff kept happening and like, well, I have to get this figured out. And through talking to people and research. And I found a girl, a triathlete who had similar symptoms. And she, she found this doctor in Denver who diagnosed her with vocal cord dysfunction. So I tracked him down and talked to him on the phone. And he was like, well, take some video of yourself on your next workout when it happens so I can hear your breathing. So I did that, sent it to him. And he goes, oh yeah, sounds, sounds like a lot like it. So, but if you want to come to Denver, I can like actually put the scope down your throat and look at your vocal cords and see if, you know, just confirm it. So I did that and, you know, got on the exercise bike, he put this scope down my throat and sure enough, like I could see it. It was crazy. Wow. So since then I'm like, well, I guess at least now I know what it is. Yeah, which is huge. Yeah. I mean, because it's so frustrating, right? Like if you, you know, I've, I've had all sorts of, um, I talked about this in an article um, just last week on, on, you know, the homepage and, and that is, you know, getting back into, you know, a, a physical fitness level and, um, you know, you know, like our parents always said, as soon as I hit 40, like shit just went down hill for me. And and a lot of it has to do with not that I turned 40, but the, the timing in my life of when I hit 40 and, you know, we went through COVID and, and all of those things. Right. And, um, and I've been super busy at work and, and I, you know, I got married and all wonderful things, but just things that cause a lot of stress in your life. And so, um, you know, trying to get back into 
fitness and, and on a regular routine, you know, you go through so many things where you're just like, ah, what is wrong with, you know, my leg today, you know? And, and, and I was injured for probably a good nine months just because I had a super, super tight psoas and, you know, relearning like how to sit during the day and get up and do stretches. And, but it, it took me nine months to figure that out, you know? And then once I figured out what it was within a month, it was, it was manageable and I was able to get back into, you know, and so I'm, even though I'm, you know, very slow to what I used to be, um, now I I'm, I'm on this track where I'm getting back to where I used to be. And it's, and it's awesome. You know, like I, I did my first triathlon in two years last weekend. And when I was out on the bike, um, I had this moment where I was just like, this is awesome. Like, you know, I get to do this again, you know, and, and I'm not injured. And, you know, the next day I, you know, I was sore, but I was able to go out on a bike ride again. And I was just like, this is rad, you know? And so finding out, you know, having those big issues where you're just like, oh, what is this? But then getting that answer makes all the difference in the world. Um, But I've never heard of that before. Yeah. It's not terribly common. Like I, I feel like I've recently been hearing a little bit more about it um, or hear that more people are being, are discovering they have it. Um, I don't know if it's just once you know about it, you become more aware of it or if it's just becoming more well-known or I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's stress is definitely a a trigger. Um, And of course, racing is stressful. So (laughs) how convenient, Um, but yeah, just being aware helps, you know, control it and be mindful of, all right, what do I need to do to keep it in check? And, um, you know, the faster you want to go, unfortunately, the worse it is. So (laughs) sometimes I just have to remind myself that no matter how fast I go, no matter where I finish, I get to do this thing that I really enjoy. And it's about being out here doing it and still doing pretty well. You're doing awesome. Are you kidding me? You know, I can't, I get frustrated. You know, I have high standards, but you You can't win all the time. I can't win all the time. And even though you want to. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I'm probably more grateful than ever that I just still get to be out here doing, doing it. So speaking of winning, you going to win on Saturday. What, what's your, what's your take? (laughs) Well, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> oh, that's, 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 that's what Josiah's kid told me. Yeah. Oh, come well, on. We, we know at this point to be. Yeah. 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 I hear you. You, you know, know what? Yep. Yep. Putting pressure on myself to win doesn't help me win. So. <laughs> okay. But you feel good. You're a little nervous, but you feel good about Saturday. Tell us really quick about the rest of the year for you post this race. What else you got going on? Are you going to the world championships Yep. in Italy? Yep. I'm so jealous. Going to world. Next year I'm going to go. Yeah. Hoping for better weather this year. If it rains all week again, I'll be a little bit disappointed. Very sad. (laughs) Um, But yeah, hoping, hoping to finish off with a strong race at worlds. And then, um, Let's see. After that, October, I'm going 
Mike and I are going to Bentonville for about 10 days to check out all the hype. And so we're going to do a little sugar, 100K mountain bike. And then about, well, the next weekend is big sugar, 100 mile gravel. So we're going to, that's kind of my fun outside the box race for the year. That's rad. That's cool. Well, uh, thanks so much, Susie, for taking the time to join us today. Uh, That concludes our podcast for today. Uh, Thanks for everybody for joining. Um, Hope you guys learned a little bit more about Xterra, some of the um, professionals that have helped build it along with the new management that is taking it into the next uh, level of what Xterra is uh, going to be over the next uh, decade or so. Um, everybody have a good one and we will see you next week.